Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Rakendi. Today we're joined by Taylor Hanna. Taylor has a degree in science and nutrition and now specializes in diet and how they may impact various diseases. So Taylor, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so looking forward to chatting a little bit about nutrition. Um, It's definitely been a passion of mine for many years, and I'm so grateful that I have been able to share my different areas of knowledge and uh, specialty with so many people since, I guess, 2016 um, as well. I started actually being fascinated by the area of nutrition um, as an athlete, and I've always found making health a priority really, really important to myself as well. So excited to share that with others. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. So Taylor, tell us a little bit about your journey. Like how did you end up um, focusing on diet and disease and and maybe tell us a little bit about um, your diet versus disease, which is what you're working on at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I actually started off being interested in sports nutrition long ago, and I was working with a dietitian in the realm of uh, sports and nutrition. And I, to be honest, at the time, I was a younger athlete, and I didn't think nutrition would play a large role in how I felt or my body or performance. And I trusted the process and trusted my dietitian. And sure enough, uh, she helped provide me with such great insight and I was blown away by the difference in my energy and how I felt and performance and recovery based on nutrition and changes and how to implement these changes in ways that also aligned with my social health and my cultural health and um, in a way that was enjoyable and maintainable as well. And so that's how I first got into the area of nutrition. And then throughout my studies, I started to become more and more interested in digestive health and diabetes and the physiology of it, but also how a lot of the times our society doesn't necessarily make a lot of this information easily accessible for people and there's a lot of misinformation and different information and it makes it really challenging to find what works for different people, especially if maybe you have multiple uh, different diseases or chronic conditions that you're working with, it's hard to find a way to bring it together. And so with time, I started to dive into that world because I found it so rewarding to help improve different individuals quality of life by these nutrition changes and of course there's going to be disciplinary team members or nurses or mental health therapists come together on the nutrition piece very rewarding um, as well yeah oh, phenomenal phenomenal and um so maybe starting with uh, diabetes since that's what you said um really captivated you uh tell us a little bit about um how an individual gets diabetes um and maybe what they can do to prevent that. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful question. Very complex. So there's different types of diabetes as well. And there's going to be some factors that are outside of our control, depending on um, the type of diabetes. So there's type one diabetes and type two diabetes that are the two broad categories. And then within that, there's going to be different that can impact our blood glucose management or blood sugar management and also change how we would manage that. In terms of developing diabetes, again, there's going to be some factors outside of our control in terms of genetics and hormones and stressors 
that type of thing. In terms of what is within a little bit more of our control, stress management and sleep, exercise and nutrition. And I'll of course speak a little bit more about the nutrition side as that's a little bit more within my expertise or realm. In terms of the nutrition side of things, we wanna be in regulating or reducing stress, uh, some of that glucose. So it's not necessarily that we have to never eat these things again, but how do we incorporate it in a way that balances our regularly throughout the day? Um, it can also be really important for people um, to incorporate a lot of different nutrients into their day as well to help reduce some of that stress on, on our body and to, um, I'm trying to think of the best word for this, to, I guess, just reiterate the importance of that stability within our blood sugars and what that looks like for each person. Um, of course, there's going to be other lifestyle factors that are important, but uh, having that balance and i think that sometimes where we get caught up too is this all or nothing thinking of i can never have any of this or i have to eat a ton of this one superfood and we want to be cautious of getting caught in that trap too because a balance of lots of different things that especially incorporating it in a way that's maintainable for us i think sometimes we also get caught in jumping into something that we know we absolutely hate eating and it's not going to be maintainable for us yeah of course no awesome awesome um so what would like a, a really good diet kind of look like uh, for an individual? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, or their family history, genetics, that type of thing. So that's where um, I think it also gets a little bit complex for people is what works for one person might not work for another person. And a lot of the times we hear that, oh, something worked for my neighbor's sister. I better try it out too. And then we feel frustrated with ourselves when it doesn't work. Um, but if we look at it from a macro lens, ideally we're going to want to have a, a large variety of different, and people always roll their eyes when I say this, but vegetables, of course, there's so many good vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and phytochemicals within those um, throughout the day. And, and again, lots of times we hear like, eat this one food, it's great. And although it has awesome nutrients, that variety and getting different nutrients from different vegetables is going to be really fabulous. Getting good, consistent protein throughout our meals, good, healthy fats. And so that balance with each meal or snack can be really helpful. Um, being aware of hunger and fullness, more doesn't always mean better. And so are we just finishing something because it's there in front of us or are we actually still hungry um, and being aware of those pieces as well um, and then like you mentioned in terms of what's kind of that optimal nutrition from my perspective, and I might be a little bit biased, but really finding what individually works for you, especially based on your unique health profile and what uh, family history you're maybe looking at preventing and what chronic conditions you might have. Um, a really good example would be what works really well for someone that is maybe managing diabetes through different fibers might really flare up somebody that has irritable bowel or IBS in terms of different fermentable carbohydrates and different fibers and high amounts of inulin and these other nutrients that can be really helpful for balancing our blood sugars but might flare up our irritable bowel or IBS and so finding that balance that works for us is going to be really important. Yeah of course no that that really does make a lot of sense um working with your body uh yeah i actually personally went through some ibs issues um and i'm just kind of working oh, at the moment yeah definitely and um i would eat so many vegetables thinking that it would help in the meanwhile i just felt bloated and gassy all the time 
Um, so it actually yeah, and it felt like it was getting worse. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and so um, looking at other areas, so uh, I know a lot of people talk about antioxidants. Um, what benefits does antioxidants have for you? Yeah, wonderful question. So we often hear that buzzword antioxidants. What does that actually mean? So antioxidants, I like to describe them almost as um, the missing puzzle piece or the missing puzzle piece. So a lot of times we have these different components floating around our bloodstream or within our body that aren't great for us. Um, they're not necessarily bad, but they're not great for us. We, 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 we can refer to them as free radicals within the science world, but they're kind of these pieces that go through and they try to pick up um, our good and they, they take them out of our body in a sense, so they don't let us use them well. These antioxidants can come into these free radicals and they connect into them, that missing puzzle piece, and they can help neutralize it or they help make these uh, free radicals or these negative things floating around into something neutral where it's not going to cause harm within our body. And so antioxidants can really help by phys finishing that puzzle piece so that that puzzle piece isn't picking up um, our healthy or other good nutrients within our body and different components within our body that are great for us. Um, and it allows our body to use those as opposed to free radicals. And so those antioxidants do a really good job of going through and completing that puzzle piece, neutralizing or, or creating a more neutral um, environment for a lot of those nutrients to be used um, and maximized as well. So would um, antioxidants be similar to fiber where some people it's not good to have a lot or is that different where everybody should be um, incorporating antioxidants into their diet? Oh, wonderful question. And so um, I would say fiber, like you said, fiber, some people it's going to cause more symptoms. So we want to choose which type of fibers we might want to incorporate. It's still going to be helpful. But like you said, we want to be a little bit careful. Antioxidants incorporating um, lots of those can be helpful uh, too much where I can sometimes see a negative is not that antioxidants themselves are negative, but sometimes when people incorporate large amounts of them, uh, they're actually missing out often on a lot of other really good nutrients or healthy fats or um, omegas or some of these other nutrients because a lot of the foods that are high in antioxidants are low in some of those other really important nutrients. Um, so it's not necessarily that the antioxidants are negative, but that's often a balance that I kind of see thrown off when people really focus on getting tons of those, uh, those other nutrients fall to the wayside. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I never really um, thought about it that way. Um, and so you also got photochemicals. What exactly are those? Yeah, this is a really wonderful question too. So antioxidants and phytochemicals. So phytochemicals are these compounds produced by mostly plant-based foods. Uh, they also help, or lots of research shows that they can help protect ourselves from damage as well. And so these phytochemicals kind of go in and they protect our body and reduce stressors on our body. And a lot of those stressors can lead to um, I don't want to say mismanagement, but dysregulation of some of our chronic diseases at times. And so these phytochemicals can help reduce these uh, stressors. It can help with protecting some of our cells and different functions. And they also can help strengthen different systems within our body. And so different phytochemicals actually have different roles within our body too. So to give a few examples, um, when we hear like eat the rainbow, red foods can often help with our cardiovascular health and our cellular protection and different orange foods can help with um, 
uh, blood vessel health and reproductive health and yellow foods can help with our immunity and our eye, our vision health. And so the different colors or different antioxidants found in those colored foods typically will be associated with different benefits. And that's also where that variety can sometimes be really helpful. Oh, wow. That's, that is so, so cool. I think lately I've been thinking, um, you know, back in the day, hunter-gatherers, a fair, fair few hundred years, <laughs> thousand years, um, w- during that period, you know, we wouldn't have access to a large array of different types of food. And now that we're in this kind of modern era where we have immediate access to um, any type of food, do you, by, by incorporating various colors into your diet, does that just completely optimizes human health. Is that correct? So like back in the day, we couldn't really have, you know, we're just trying to survive. Whereas now we actually have the potential to optimize our health as much as possible by, you know, incorporating various different types of food into our, into our diet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also where genetics plays a little bit of a role because although we've adapted a little bit um, in terms of our genetics from our hunter gatherer years, but you're absolutely right in terms of how do we optimize our health through nutrition now that we have that opportunity to and how do we help with not only longevity but that quality of life long term so i think in our hunter gatherer years you're right we're here for survival and the reality was our lifespan was a little bit different or shorter as well um and now we have longevity but we also want to have quality to those years and using nutrition and stress management and activity and sleep and all of these other factors that we know can impact our health to optimize these pieces so that we have that quality of life i think is really important and and it's an important balance to again i never want people to be forced to eat foods or eat in a way that they absolutely hate but that's where working um to find what is really enjoyable for the person and aligns with their symptoms or chronic diseases while optimizing health, I think is so valuable. And I think that's also what's so rewarding with um, my job is finding those pieces that or those kind of aha moments for people when they come back to me after implementing something and they're like, wow, I never thought this would make such a big difference. And I have so much more energy or I'm not running to the bathroom anymore or, oh, I didn't realize how much my blood sugars were contributing to my headaches and and those types of things. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that in terms of we have that opportunity now in our food system to optimize some of our nutrients um, and our nutrition and how do we use that in a way that works for us. Yeah, because I mean, the thing as well is like with complete access to everything, we also have a large amount of access to um, unhealthy foods like, let's say, McDonald's, KFC, your your normal um, uh, unhealthy uh, common foods that people tend to go to. Uh, within that, you know, it's you, you were saying how somebody would... Um, they, you wouldn't want them to eat foods that they wouldn't like. And I'm sure when you speak to um, a large portion of people with type two diabetes, they would probably um, lean towards um, eating predominantly, you know, not always, I'm sure each case is different, um, a large amount of fast food, which causes that spike in um, uh, dopamine and serotonin, you get all happy because you got all the sugar. And so they associate that with really yummy, good food. Whereas your actual healthy nourishing food doesn't give you as much of a dopamine spike. But over time, if you had to change your mindset, you look at the nourishing food and you're like, wow, this is so good for my body and this is so good for me. 
Um, whereas when you look at, at McDonald's and so on, you think, wow, this is dead food. How would you help people in order to, um, you know, grow that relationship with food that really helps them rather than, um, you know, associating McDonald's with happiness? Yeah, yeah, it's such a, you're right. In our current environment in the world, it makes it so challenging to f- change our food relationship because um, our there's a lot of industries that, of course, can make it not only taste really good, make us really happy, but it's super convenient and super available and we're often on the go and that's what we need is convenient, quick and easy. And so usually in terms of the mindset shift or the reframe there, there's a few different strategies we use. Also on our team, we have mindset consultants that help with this piece too, because we recognize that we're, we as humans are not going to be just linear and we get nutrition recommendations and implement it behaviorally. We need that support too. But a few different strategies we have, one would be what we call 80-20 balance. So how do we incorporate a balance of foods that we enjoy, but also honor our health or align with our health goals? And then how do we also incorporate foods that we enjoy, but maybe don't align as much with some of those health goals, we find that oftentimes we get into this all or nothing thinking where we're either on the wagon or we're off the wagon. And as soon as we feel we're off the wagon, we kind of spiral into this um, realm of, well, I'll start again Monday. I'll start again next week. I'll start again next year. And we sometimes forget that with changes, there'll be ups and downs and that's okay. And and any progress is, is progress even if it's not necessarily um, meeting the high expectations people often hold of themselves. Um, And then so that balance can sometimes be really helpful. And then another behavioral strategy we we sometimes find um, helpful is how do we focus on actions we can do instead of inaction? So what I mean by that is oftentimes I hear people say, "Okay, I will not eat cookies anymore. I will not eat Um, french fries or burgers or whatever it is that they're not going to do and you've actually activated a neural pathway now when you're saying i will not do this and you're probably going to not only do that but you're going to want to do it 50 times more than you previously did um, before you set this in action or this not going to if we can reframe that to an actual action you can do it tends to be a really helpful behaviorally so instead of for example saying i will not eat cookies today it might be when i'm hungry this evening for a snack i will have um, an orange that i and almonds or or whatever it might be so reframing that goal a little bit and it sets us up for success sorry my dog is coughing in the background oh that's cute (laughs) Um, And so that can really help um, with that behavioral change. And then with neuroplasticity, so now I'm getting a little bit more into the brain side of things, but with neuroplasticity, the more times we shift a behavior, the easier it is. And it's not that it's easy to change, but the more times we untie a certain behavior or feeling with an action, the less we feel it over time as well. So starting to shift that away from I'm feeling stressed, I eat a French fry, I'm feeling stressed, I use XYZ for coping, for example. Um, I'm kind of simplifying it, but those would be some of the behavioral changes we might look at implementing with people and then also exploring 
kind of the deeper, deeper pieces with our mindset coaches. We have a gut directed hypnotherapist and we also have a counselor um, just because a lot of the times we are trained to use food for coping, whether it be boredom, celebration, excitement, uh, sadness, stress. And we don't want to just take away a coping mechanism because that won't be helpful. We want to find a realistic strategy to help support that and reflect on that and dive into those pieces too. Mm, oh, totally. Because, you know, um, it it's, would be hard for a lot of people to hear, but I think um, a large portion of obesity comes from a eating disorder as in um, you know, you don't know how to cope with things or like you're saying you're bored or, or whatever it may be. And so you've built those pathways, but a lot of the time, you know, if you, if you dig deep and really talk to somebody, there's a lot of pain that they're holding on to, maybe from their past or, you know, and so they, they start to consume and consume because it gives them that short dopamine hit and that serotonin hit. Um, and so I think I'd read somewhere that it was like, um, you know, people see obese people and, and treat them really badly. And so, you know, oh, you, you're a disgrace or whatever it may be. And meanwhile, that person is actually really hurting inside. Um, and a way for them to try and deal with that is consumption. And so sitting with them, working through that could really alter their mindset, which then eventually alters their body. I mean, it's so interconnected. It's beautiful. Oh, it is so interconnected. And I think that's um, such an important peace and and you're absolutely right that unfortunately there's so much bias and stigma within the world around eating behaviors and um lots of blame placed i think on uh, on individuals too and like you mentioned sometimes that blame is oh if i could just will myself this willpower if i had enough willpower to just stop eating these things i my health would be tip top shape and it's really challenging because you're right there's so much so much more going on a lot of the time and it can be really complex having a good relationship with food if we also have um, a distress distrust in our body because of inflammatory bowel disease or celiac disease or diabetes or a lot of these things that also come with really negative symptoms and and so it's yeah you're right it's so complex and um, people are really hard on themselves and blame themselves so much when it's so much more than just um, a behavior there. It's quite deep. And like you said, can um, be associated with so much, so many other things in our life. Mm. And how much um, would you say, so there's obviously genetics, um, which plays some role, then there's epigenetics, which is, you know, how you're engaging in your environment from birth. So I think there's a few studies where they've observed twins who grew up in the same uh, they had very similar DNA, if not almost identical, hence they're identical twins. Uh, but yet when you follow them 10, 20, 30 years later, they develop very differently. You know, one may be a star athlete, whereas the other one may become very obese and, and struggle to walk and have knee issues and so on. And so people may say, look, I'm like this because of my parents. Um, and sometimes that's true because they pass on their behavioral patterns and through your DNA, you know, some uh, information gets passed through. But would you say that there is a high susceptibility to change? So you're talking about neuroplasticity. Is do you see a lot of clients that can actually have the potential to change or um, just because I, the reason I'm asking is, I guess there's a lot of people that say, look, I am who I am because of my genetics. And I'm just curious how much of that is actually, are you able to change or is it just look, okay, that person's subject to ge genetics. I'm sorry. That's just your life. Yeah. What a complex question. Um, so you're right. I do feel that epigenetics and genetics play a role in terms of, um, 
how much of a role people that are wanting and ready and engaging in behavior change are typically able to change. I would say that readiness is a really important part. So some people are pre-contemplative or contemplative or ready to change. And I don't think there's any right or wrong place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would say that it, I never would want someone to feel that they have to change their lifestyle. I also trust that people know what's best for them. And some people genuinely don't feel that nutrition is a priority for them, or maybe they have other factors. So nutrition and lifestyle isn't a priority for them at this time. And I, I trust them in that decision too. But when you ask is, are people able to change their health and better manage their health? And um, yes, I, I do believe they are. Um, I'm, I don't want to also sound too um, healthist or add to healthism in the sense that, that I don't want people to feel that my perception is everyone has to do that. But if people are wanting to, uh, we would we see a very high success rate in individuals being able to manage their different chronic conditions. With that being said, I always like to preface it with saying sometimes chronic conditions do require other health providers outside of nutrition. Sometimes our body needs the support of medications. Um, I'm obviously biased towards nutrition and I love when we're able to support things through nutrition, but sometimes we need supplements or sometimes we need uh, medications or sometimes we need medical intervention. And I think people perceive that as a failure as well. And that's not necessarily a failure if our body needs that support in that moment or at that time um, as well. But it's kind kind of going in a long answer. But yes, long answer short, I would say most people that we work with as well that come to our program are in a stage of readiness where they're ready to engage in change. And we see lots of success with, with that. And it takes time and patience. And I think one of the important factors is that support because change takes time, change is hard. Um, a lot of the behaviors we have are from our whole entire life. And so it takes time to change those. Mm, definitely. And I think, I mean, the thing with the healthism or um, I understand you don't want to be um, demand or expect people to, to eat a certain way, but you know, like if your body is un- un- unhealthy and you are really struggling in life, I mean, <laughs> eating properly can really change your entire way of interacting with other people, your way of interacting with yourself. I mean, your cells divide every, you know, m- multiple times every split second. I mean, it's just phenomenal what your body's doing and um, wanting to to help somebody so that their body can run at optimum capacity. I mean, that's just... Uh, it, yeah, I guess sometimes it, it's so hard because some people, like you said, are stuck in these patterns and they don't see that they could literally live a much better life and they can choose that, you know, they have control over that. It's just whether they mm-hmm. want to, because in this present moment, I mean, we have access, as we said before, to so many different things, um, particularly being in a, a first world country, you know, both of us um are, are from first world countries. And so uh, there's even more access to, to absolutely everything. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. And, and like you said, it's, oh, it's so tough uh, because I'll say socioeconomic status aside, because I know that there's sometimes barriers there, but like you said, when you're in like privileged countries where you also have access and availability to a lot of these things, um, yeah, it, it may may come down to what those each individual's priorities are but if somebody is feeling really low energy or 
really not feeling well or having lots of symptoms or struggling to manage different conditions, yes, nutrition can often play such an important role in helping us feel feel better and be our best selves and have quality of life. And there's even some preliminary research in the area of nutrition and its role in supporting mental health and depression and anxiety. And again, it's not a replacement for other therapies or psychology or medications, but it can play such a huge role in supporting our hormonal regulation and um, a lot of those pieces too. And I, um, I think sometimes we don't always know that. And until we're aware of that, um, it's hard to know that we can change that to also support ourselves. Mm, yeah oh just see hearing this I feel it's just so empowering so empowering you know if, if anybody's listening to this and they feel overweight they feel uh drained or um you know really depressed with their life I mean you can actually change the help is there you've just got to um reach out to somebody like Taylor and uh you can literally change your entire life so that's just to me that's so 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 cool to hear um, so different types of diseases, I mean, we spoke a bit about diabetes, but what are the main types of um, diseases that you are confronted with um, and, and ones that are, are you've seen actually uh, that food can change? Oh, wonderful, wonderful question. So in terms of our or the population I currently work with, and I of course see diabetes, but I see a lot of digestive health. So I see a lot of diverticulosis or diverticulitis. So diverticulose would be pockets within our digestive tract and diverticulitis develops if there's an infection within there. So I work a lot with prevention and management of that. I work a lot with irritable bowel or IBSD, IBSC. Um, I work a lot with other inflammatory bowel conditions, excuse me, inflammatory bowel conditions. Um, I work with a lot of celiac disease, SIBO or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, histamine intolerance, salicylate intolerance. So those would both be food chemical intolerances. I work with uh, mast cell activation syndrome. So this is where our mast cells or our cells within our immune system are heightened and releasing extra histamine or some enzymes in our body that help with regulating that are declined or decreased. Um, I work with um, endometriosis and fibromyalgia and I'm just thinking if there's a few other ones that I have. I'm trying to think of clients that I'm currently working with. Uh, those would be the most common. Oh, hypertension or high blood pressure would be another really common one that we are working with as well. Um, the beautiful thing is we have a team of 11 dietitians and we all um, kind of have our areas of expertise that we love and then we share it with our team. So we all have got such beautiful experience and knowledge based on a lot of the different areas that we've worked within and work and work within. And so uh, I think that really adds value as well to my knowledge. So I don't, I want to give lots of credit to them too, because I've definitely learned so much from them and it's helped me uh, support, support a lot of different clients with managing their chronic conditions and living their best life with their families and not feeling terrible, like, like you said, terrible and drained and worried so much about their health controlling their entire life. So what's been the biggest shift that you've seen in somebody, obviously without mentioning any names or anything, what, what have you seen that's been like, wow, that was just incredible. Yeah. So one of my, uh, there's actually two cases that come to mind. One was from a couple of years ago. Um, and I had a client that had a consistent, um, 
rash and eczema, uh, migraines, almost daily, vomiting most mornings. They'd wake up at 3 a.m. with vomiting, uh, migraines, uh, itchiness. They felt like they couldn't really go anywhere because of their consistent nausea and vomiting and reflux. Uh, they had a little bit of diarrhea or constipation, but because their intake had dropped from their symptoms, they weren't experiencing as much of, of that. Um, upon entering our program, they hadn't been actually diagnosed yet. So we got a few tests done from their doctor and ruled out inflammatory bowel and a few other things. And then uh, based on their profile, so histamine intolerance is an area I really love working within. And typically I'll see skin disorders, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. So digestive concerns and then sinus issues are often really common with food chemical intolerance. Um, and so I took a peek at this individual's what they were eating and they're eating tons of fish because they wanted to get those healthy omega-3s, which can be really anti-inflammatory, great protein, healthy fat, but they're really high histamine. And so this individual is eating tons of fish. So we reduced histamines and we added in a lot of lower histamine, but really nutrient dense foods. And within two weeks, the individual is no longer vomiting. Um, and within four months, we were getting them back to regular bowel movements every day, no more migraines, no itchy skin. And within four months, which can feel like a long time, but at the same time, after years and years and years of struggling, this individual was able to get back to traveling she was actually within at the six month mark she was traveling and um doing things with her husband and visiting with her children and oh it was such a beautiful beautiful thing to see because yeah she was bedridden and vomiting and no symptoms um, unless she engaged in eating some of the things that were triggers for her but we're um she she's now no longer working with me but she's working on continuing to optimize her gut health and manage her histamine intolerance and she had a bit of um mast cell activation so she's been really working on that and she's been able to increase her tolerance a little bit um as well so she would be one that came to mind that was just such a phenomenal change and she responded so quickly again within two weeks we saw a huge change and then within four months she was feeling like a whole new person Oh, wow. Wow. You literally changed her life. I mean, that is something that really is something. Yeah, it's definitely super rewarding. And um, it's still a lot of she did a lot of the work, too, of course, because she's the one changing what she's doing. But uh, supporting people in those changes is yeah, so, so rewarding and so amazing. And it's just so crazy because she would have thought, oh, I'm, you know, like you said, I'm doing things really well. I'm eating a lot of fish. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, her body slowly starts to deteriorate and she has no idea why. Um, I'm yeah, sure exactly. so many people make that mistake all the time. Yeah. And it's so hard to know because you're absolutely right. Like, oh, I should be eating fish. Um, it's so great for me. And from a histamine intolerance perspective, not great. Or people will be like, oh, I need to eat tons of um i'm trying to think of another example like tons of like brussels sprouts and asparagus garlic and onions great for immunity but if you have a fodmap intolerance those might not be that might actually make your symptoms worse um yeah it's a really tough tough balance sometimes when when you're not really sure what direction to go yeah yeah of course and actually i was curious um when you're looking at uh because you know we're mentioning fish and i just thought about tuna and um, overfishing. And then I started thinking about GMO foods um, because obviously in the same age as well, we've been um, modifying a lot of foods and uh, particularly, I mean, it's, it's growing in momentum um, with people eating genetically modified food. 
have you noticed a difference or have you looked into that at all in terms of, um, you know, if somebody's, let's say, eating corn that's uh, genetically modified or if they're eating normal corn, would that have any impact on your cells or your body or um, is that not necessarily a thing? Yeah, good question. So in terms of GMOs from, um, again, not my area of expertise, I would say necessarily, but uh, GMO foods, we can see some shifts in the foods, of course, whether they become sweeter or they become um, uh, more resilient to certain environmental conditions for growing. And so we can sometimes see a shift in someone's, for example, fructose intolerant, we will see a shift in how well they tolerate foods that might be genetically modified to be a little bit sweeter. If you don't have the research from my understanding is we can sometimes see a reduction in some nutritional value of those foods, but it's not necessarily causing harm to our bodies um, or contributing to chronic conditions necessarily. Um, it's also a really tough balance because in terms of GMO foods, we have, although foods really available, in terms of production of foods and having availability for grow foods on a mass scale and implementing that in certain, certain environments in certain places um, can be really challenging. Uh, and again, I'm not an agricultural expert by any means and GMOs is not my area of expertise. I'm more so aware of how those GMO foods can impact FODMAPs in foods or histamines in foods. Um, but does it play a role in shifting our tolerance or how we manage a chronic condition? Yes, potentially. Um, is it something that I, I feel people should 100% avoid? If that's what they can avoid or afford and that's what's available, I would say not necessarily that wouldn't be my first thing that I would want someone to, to change or be aware of. Mm -hmm. No, that's just, it's very interesting because, um, you know, as this is growing in momentum globally, um, it's just interesting, you know, the more that we alter um, nature, in order to benefit us, there is sometimes, you know, it's like any medication. Sure, you take medication because you suffer from a chronic disease, but that medication can have side effects. And so, yeah, the unintended consequences. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, now, you know, really focusing on um, being as natural as possible. But I, I hear what you're saying where, you know, we are growing as a human population each year. Um, and so there needs to be a way to feed that ever-growing population. And so, you know, you're either going into vertical farming or, <laughs> you know, GMOs um, and or I'm sure there's many other different avenues. So, no, very interesting. And in terms yeah. of um, any sort of, uh, I mean, I have spoken about this a little bit in the past, but like factory farming um, and over-processed food. Well, no, I suppose not over-processed, but like factory farming um, or overfishing. Has that also, has that had any impact? Do you say to people, um, you know, eat organic where you can, or um, is that also something that, look, it's bad for the animal, but for you, it's not, not as severe? Great question. And this is a tough, this is a tough one for me to answer. Again, I, I don't feel I've read it enough research in the area to have a really concrete perspective, but the perspective I currently hold on it is, um, so I'll give a little example. So from the perspective of organic foods, um, if someone has salicylate intolerance, foods that are organic are actually typically a little bit higher in salicylates. And so from a food chemical, a natural food chemical perspective, some of my clients with intolerances have switched over to organic to manage their intolerances, but they actually got worse. Um, because those foods tend to be higher in these natural 
food chemicals um, such as salicylates. And so is there a difference in foods that are are organic versus non-organic? Yes, um, especially for people with intolerances, that doesn't necessarily mean one's better than the other. If you don't have an intolerance, um, again, I don't necessarily want people to stay away from non-organic foods. I find sometimes um, I see a lot of people who will report to me, oh, I didn't eat vegetables this week because there was no organic left at my grocery store. Um, I don't know how many food deserts then have them just because they're not necessarily fitting in that profile too. Um, I would say in terms of my knowledge base on organic foods, I won't, I can't speak to general population outside of some of the food intolerances though. Mm, no, no, of course. No, well, I think even the information you've shared has been highly, highly knowledgeable, um, you know, and, and uh, I mean, yeah, definitely a lot more knowledge than the average person. So, uh, you know, even if you're not at the top of your field, it's still, um, it's still very interesting to, to learn about and, and to, to hear about. So I really do appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I know the food, food science is so in it. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. I Always mean, ever changing as the science changes and we get more information and yeah. yeah and I, I suppose, you know, at the end of the day, you consuming that food, you know, and your body from the most basic level needs all the nutrients it can in order to function at, at its optimum capacity. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, Going back to, you know, what we really discussed before for people who are listening, what are the main things that they can really uh, take home with us? You know, what, what foods would you, um, things that easy things for, for people to uh, remember and, and um, can incorporate in their lives? I have takeaways. One would be, and again, it sounds super uh, baseline, but most people don't get enough of it is water. Drinking your water, sipping on it throughout the day, making sure you're getting enough. If you need a water tracker or a timer, doing that. A lot of our nutrients are transported via water. So if you're dehydrated, you're not going to optimize your nutrition. Um, and our water-soluble vitamins need that. So water is my number one. Um, number two would be healthy fats. So a lot of the times we had, I guess there was a trend not too, too long ago, but um, of the low fats are so important for us. Mufas and PUFAs, I like to call them. So monounsaturated and polyunsaturated um, and omega-3s um, and getting a source of fatty fish as long as it suits you. Um, avocados and olive oil can have really great uh, unsaturated fats in them too, which have a lot of great, great benefit. Um, so that would be my second one. My third one would be um, fiber from different sources. So vegetables, of course, have fiber, whole grains have fiber, even beans and lentils, if you tolerate them okay, and you're not intolerant to GOs, fabulous fibers. So fiber, um, a lot of foods that are high fiber are high in prebiotics, which help feed our probiotics, which help um, with our postbiotics, which are lots of the benefits that we get from our probiotics. And those impact every system within our body, our gut microbiome, our gut brain access, our gut skin access, our gut lung access. And so keeping our bacteria happy and healthy um, and our microbiome happy and healthy through lots of good fibers is really important. Then my fourth is going to be getting a good source of those phytochemicals and antioxidants. So eating the rainbow, which I know is such a cliche thing to say, but even if you take a little checklist through your mind at the grocery store of 
do I have a lot of different colors in my grocery cart and how do I incorporate them throughout my weeks or my next couple of weeks um, as well. And remembering that we can do frozen fruits and veggies too if we're in a place where we, can, we don't always have fresh available. Flash frozen still has fabulous nutrients in them and still gives us a lot of the, the benefits of those phytochemicals and antioxidants. And um, my last one would be, um, enjoy what you eat uh, there is research to show that enjoying what we eat helps our digestion it helps um, us implement changes that is long term it helps us slow down so we can actually chew our food well and listen to our hunger and fullness um, and although that's not a specific food itself i think it's a really important of it all as well Oh, so, so awesome. Such great takeaways. And for people who are wanting to, like we touched on the mindset part, are there any uh, three or so takeaways um, that people can use in order to incorporate altering their mindset? So I think one of them, you said, don't say the don'ts, I won't eat cookies, rather say I will eat uh, carrots. <laughs> Is there anything else that uh, that people can can take home to alter that? Yeah. Okay. Let's pick my top uh, mindset one. So yes, choose actions instead of the don'ts for what would be my number one. My number two would be um, practice mindfulness. If you're not someone who already practices mindfulness, uh, there's a lot of good research for mindfulness and meditation. As long as it's a good fit for you, I know there's a few contraindications with some populations. For example, if you have a history of trauma or PTSD, you'll, you'll perhaps want supervision with that one. Um, the third one I would say would be um, having practicing self-compassion as well especially with nutrition changes and be wary of some of those thought traps such as all or nothing thinking and then my fourth one would be if you're feeling you're struggling with changing your behavior do not be afraid to reach out to someone who specializes whether it's a psychologist a mental health ther therapist a behavioral specialist that is what they are trained to do and it is hard to make changes and i think sometimes we feel um like we should be able to do it ourselves, but there's nothing wrong with having to ask for support in those areas. Oh, brilliant, 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 brilliant. And um, is there, it's a question I ask everyone because I just think it's so interesting, um, is if you had one message that you would like to share with the world, like what would it be? Oh my goodness, this is a tough question. Um, if there is one message that I wanted to share with the world, um, yeah, well, good question. I would say, I think my message would be like, don't forget to slow down, enjoy the journey, whether it's changing nutrition or other things in your in your life. I think we're often on autopilot and going a thousand miles an hour. So don't forget to slow down and enjoy the journey. Ah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And for those listening, uh, what's the best way that they can reach you? Yeah, great question. So if you're on Instagram, you can follow us at so at gut health recipes and you're welcome to send us a message there you can also find us on the our website so dietversusdisease.org um, or on facebook you can join our facebook group fodmap reboot um, as well so those would be three different ways you can also find me taylor hannah dietitian and you can send me a message on facebook if you have any questions or um, we have a lot of other dietitians but the founder of diet versus disease joe leach you can also reach out to him um, on facebook as well perfect well i will link those all in the show notes below thank you so much guys for joining us awesome thank you